You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Adobe Radio and Jabberjob Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you great content year after year. I can now say that this is our last episode of our first year of production, and uh, I am super stoked for this. Um, It is episode 51, uh, but we did have some two-part episodes uh, double episodes throughout the year, so it is actually our last episode of our first year. Next week's going to be the first of the new uh, the new year two, and uh, that one's going to be with uh, Brandon Canty from Fugazi. So this is going to be the second member of Fugazi on the show. Uh, we had Ian McKay uh, back in episode, I believe, 23. Uh, I'm not sure on that. I'll have to go check. But Ian McKay was on the show. Brendan is coming on the show uh, next week. And this week on our last episode of our first year is Dessa from Doomtree. Uh, and she's a solo artist as well. Uh, one of my favorite musicians. Uh, one of my favorite wordsmiths, to put that out there. She is absolutely incredibly, incredibly intelligent. She can turn a phrase like no one I've ever seen. I mean, she is uh, very well spoken through her poetry, spoken word, you know, watch all kinds of different events. And then being a hip hop artist with Doomtree, I mean, it's just absolutely crazy what she comes up with. And then watching her go from Doomtree to solo artist and then from solo artist to collaborating with, you know, uh, orchestras, collaborating with different musicians and just putting herself in situations that may be uh, uncomfortable or a new idea that hasn't been done before, uh, especially in her realm. And it's just just amazing every time. And, and uh, it took a long time to get her on the show. She's been very busy this year with all kinds of things. It took about seven months. Um, but once we did, we had a great chat, and it was a lot of fun. So I do want to talk a little bit on this episode about our first year, looking back at our first year as a podcast, how things started a little bit. And the things we've gone through, um, you know, the podcast, as some of you may know, started just as an idea um, uh, after listening to a few podcasts while I was at work. 
um, not being very familiar with the the medium, uh, looking at it and saying, hey, I think I could do that. And I went home and I talked to my wife and I brought up the idea and, and she was into it, but she said, you know, you come up with a lot of ideas and you don't always follow through with them, which is true. And we've talked about that. Some of my best friends that I grew up with talked about how we're the same that way, how we come up with all kinds of ideas. We're never satisfied living in the moment. We're always looking for the next thing. And sometimes that next thing never comes and we move on to something else and it just gets thrown by the wayside. So I was determined not to make that happen with this podcast. Uh, it was like, you know what? I've got to do this. So people talk about putting out, you know, record your first couple episodes and throw them away. Dan Carlin's one of them. Um, and Dan Carlin, I actually booked on a podcast called Break It Down with Matt Carter and uh, a great episode there to check out. But seeing Dan Carlin talk about burning your first few episodes, I knew being a, the kind of person that is, goes from one extreme to another, I was not capable of doing that and keep going. If I would have done that, I would have never continued. So I decided to, you know, reach out to people first, see if people would be even, even be interested in coming on the show. I had a brief career in music. And I knew a lot of people, but at the same time, who knew if they wanted to talk to me or if they were still doing you know, their thing, if it would be interesting, if it would flop. So there's a lot of what ifs. So I reached out to about 25 people. I had a list of people that I wanted to talk to, uh, people that you know, I figure, hey, they're close enough to me that they'd be willing to try it on a podcast that hadn't done anything yet. And I reached out to those 20, 25 people and got about 24 yeses and one no. And so that inspired me to start this podcast, which also terrified me because I was like, now I have to record this many interviews and put them out with them still being relevant, not being, you know, four months later cycling through. So then came the logistics of trying to work that out. So got the gear, made it happen, started the first interviews. Um, the first interview was actually with Matt Hopper, which actually ended up being the Christmas episode. And we just sat down and started talking. I had like three pages of notes, and I didn't use them. And at that point, I kind of realized what I needed to do and what I didn't need to do. And so from then on, you know, episode after episode, things got better and better. At the same time, I started putting out the first episodes I did as real episodes. I didn't burn any episodes. Um, and that was just because I knew if I started it and kept with it, it would happen if I didn't. If I burned some episodes, I would have, you know, just kind of fallen by the wayside. So every episode, if you've been following the show and you've been listening to me this whole year, every episode you hear is one that, you know, there was no episodes other than that as far as, you know, got burned, trashed. We, knock on wood, did not have any episodes fail either as far as, you know, uh, the interview not being recorded gear problems, anything like that, we were able to salvage, even the ones with poor audio, able to salvage them enough. And that's a big shout out to my cousin and his Pro Tools knowledge. So after episode three, uh, episode three with Mike Kaminsky, um, or excuse me, episode three was thrice, I believe episode four was Mike Kaminsky. That's when I got hooked up with Jabberjaw. So Jabberjaw with Matt Carter uh, from the episode I talked about earlier with Dan Carlin. Um, Break It Down podcast, Bad Christian podcast, Emery, reached out to him about the Jabberjaw Network, and he set up a call with Mike Mowry, uh, who runs the network. Mike Mowry is an artist manager. He's just an entrepreneur of all sorts and uh, had a conference call 
to discuss the show. So on that conference call, I was sitting in the van like I am now, talking on my phone. Now I'm talking on my mobile recorder. But sitting in this ferry van in this ferry spot, and that call changed my whole world, changed the the trajectory of the podcast, changed everything. So after that that initial conference call, joined Jabberjaw, and not a day has gone by that Mike and I don't talk, you know, at least once, if not most of the day, on all kinds of ideas, how to make the show better, how to make the network better, just inspiring each other. And that relationship right there was one of the greatest things that I've accomplished uh, or been able to take part in through this podcast. I've gotten to talk to a lot of great people, a lot of heroes of mine, and they say never meet your heroes, but I think that's bullshit. I mean, every, everyone's a human being. Anyone can have a conversation. And that's what this show's about. And that's what I found out this show was about. I mean, this show, I didn't know how it was going to go. But time and time again, just having a conversation, person to person, man to man, man to woman, has been just an inspiring experience. Being able to talk to someone you looked up to your whole life, you know, your whole growing up life, your musical life, you know, whatever you're into, talking to one of those people, asking them whatever questions you want to ask. If you ask them questions at all, sometimes it just starts out as a conversation and goes and goes. You know, you you have three pages of questions and you ask none of them, but you just had a conversation with one of your heroes. Um, there's also been a lot of discovery on this on this podcast, discovering new comedians, new musicians. When a publicist throws someone my way, hey, check out this band. Would you be interested in working with them? Check out this comedian. It's I found a lot of really cool content this this whole year, you know, and then being a part of Jabberjaw, joining Adobe Radio, uh, getting, you know, more and more attention for the show, and then also traveling for the show, traveling to Podcast Movement this year with Mike Mowry and myself. Had a blast, met some amazing people, um, great artist managers, some record labels, a lot of podcasters, just really broadening my horizons and and being able to be a a force in the podcast scene uh something that's fairly i mean it's been going on for years of course but it's still fairly new and infantile as a genre and uh i'm really happy to be a part of it when i came into it and being able to you know say it's an established show you know being able to talk to people that you know uh, not being nervous to reach out to people or feel inadequate to be able to speak to someone on a, on a higher level um, has been a, a great gift, and I've really enjoyed that. So I just wanted to touch on this, this stuff because it is the last episode of the year uh, for you know our first year. We're going to have episode next week, 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 and after that. So you guys can always count on that. Consistency has been big for me. I don't take holidays. As far as the show, I'm always prepared with another you know, another episode, uh, even if I'm not able to record that week. I try to be as consistent as possible for you guys because I know it's important and it drives me crazy uh, when I listen to a show and it's every week and then there's a holiday and it's not there, especially if I have to work. So that's one thing I can pledge to you that I will be consistent week after week. I have been this entire year and that's going to continue, you know, unless something, you know, dramatic, drastic happens, which you will be made aware of if that does happen. So I really appreciate 
all of you listening to this show. If you're if this is your first episode you're listening to, you've got a lot to go back and check out. And uh, I stand by all of it. I really feel proud of what we've done here. Um, I do want to get some business out of the way before we jump into my interview with Dessa and finish this year out. Uh, we are on peerpleasurepodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We're on all the social media platforms. And we have now launched the Peer Pleasure Pleasure Seekers Club Patreon. It's an exclusive Patreon club where you can get all sorts of bonus content, merchandise. You can you know chat with other members, and you can help support the show. Even if you just go and throw in two bucks a month, that supports the show in a huge way. You know that shows me that that uh, you know I'm doing my job here, that I'm providing something of value to you, as well as to myself. I mean, I love what I'm doing, and that's why I do it. I mean, the fact that you guys listen to it is just a huge bonus and uh, really fun to interact with you guys. Um, I've been able to take a lot of guest requests, make those happen. I've got a few more of those coming up, uh, which I'll reach out to those people and let them know uh, who I've got coming up as far as that goes. But if you join that Patreon club, you're going to be, you know, have access to our guest roster and you're going to have access to all that stuff. And that's a work in progress. It's live now. And we're working through, you know, getting a streamlined way to deliver that to you guys and make everything, you know, super awesome for the pleasure seekers as well as everybody else. So I really appreciate you guys listening. Big, big, huge thanks this year to Matt Carter, who, you know, hooked me up with Jabberjaw, Mike Mowry, who's been, you know, monumentally helpful uh, in, you know, interjecting me into this scene and getting involved with the medium. Uh, All the guys at Jabberjaw, Lance Rowe, uh, who's done most of the artwork for the show as far as all the graphics and some merchandise. Uh, Wes Wooden Cyclops, check out Wooden Cyclops on Instagram. Uh, he designed the the uh, Pleasure Skull, as I call it, the logo you see all over everything. Um, Susie Lee. I mean, we've had just so many people that are fantastic. So many people that you know uh, have helped out. Joe Simon is a producer. Um, Bob from the Bob and Katie Show, Bob McKnight. Uh, was doing show notes for us. I mean, just a huge, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to drag you through it any further. Um, So without further ado, let's get into the last episode of year one with the one and only Dessa. Swimming in the sniffer, pretty as a picture. Don't get it twisted, man, her bite is a bitch. You can name, you can keep her, but take care when you feed her. You never can take a fight out the fish. Chomping at the grill, but never want to still sit. You can test my metal with a magnet and some tip sniffs. Intense, all I see is canines and some wingtips. Pilot pit in pocket, I'm riding instinct and inches. Around here, we don't like talk of big dreams. Stand out is a pride that can see. To aim highest and make ways to split scenes But that's not what it seems like to me Cause I wanna try, I wanna risk And I don't wanna walk, rather swing and miss I'm not above apologies, but I don't ask permission Got a lot of imperfections, but I don't care my ambition in them Hey, Dewey, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm well, thanks. 
Awesome. Thank you uh, so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I know your time's limited, but I appreciate you making the making the time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, Dessa, welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast. Can you hear me okay? I can, yeah. Okay, perfect. I'm doing a mobile mobile setup today, so I want to make sure everything's good to go on your end. So, um, sure. Well, I wanted to start, I know you've been interviewed a million times, and everyone's talked about your past and everything else. I'm really interested right off the bat uh, after just, you know, doing some research and, and sitting with this for a little while, um, your performance with the Minnesota Orchestra. Um, I'm really fascinated to see how that came about and uh, how that went for you as far as, you know, that's one of the biggest things you've ever done and uh, quite an undertaking, I would imagine. Yeah, I was I was invited by the Minnesota Orchestra to collaborate about a year and a half before the show actually went down. So I got a call from Grant Meacham, and uh, their artistic director there. He asked if I'd be game to put on a full-length show, and um, I knew that that would involve fully orchestrating a lot of my stuff, which means that while my songs right now are usually built you know, from rap beats, it would mean that uh, an arranger would essentially deconstruct all of those songs so that they could be played live by you know, between 75 and 80 musicians on stage. Mm-hmm. So I said yes, and um, I worked with the arranger and composer Andy Thompson to do those arrangements. He was killer. He, like, burned down every song and then reconstructed it. <laughs> and, um, and then as part of the evening, I also threaded through kind of like a, a monologue that was a send-up of a TED-style presentation. So I told the story of trying to fall out of love. Um, and as part of that process, I imaged my brain in an fMRI machine and shared those images on stage. Okay. I felt great about it. I thought it was like, yeah, I thought it was one of the shows I was most proud of. So I was proudest of having done. Got it. And, that, and that's, I mean... The videos I was able to see was, you know, cell phone video on YouTube and things like that. I mean, you could really feel a lot of power from that performance. Even from a cell phone video, I can only imagine what it was like, you know, in the room. But, uh, I mean, being able to evoke that much, you know, emotion and feeling and, and breaking the songs down like that. I mean, did you find a new love for your your music, breaking it down to that basic of a level and then building it back up again? Um, I mean... <laughs> I'm, I like my music pretty well, <laughs> so so I probably found a new a new love and regard and respect for the work of the people with whom I was partnered. I mean, watching watching um, Andy Thompson, the arranger, make the decisions that he did, and watching the conductor, his name is Sarah Hicks, watching her, you know, garner the the talent and energy of seventy five, seventy seven people on stage. Um, um. Those are skill sets that were fresh to me. And so watching them at work was, uh, <laughs> was impressive, occasionally humbling. And in the end on stage, you know, I got to be part of the author that inspired it. Man, I, uh, I can only imagine. And, and so, I mean, once you got, I'm sure you were nervous as hell, but once you got on stage, did all that go away or was it, I mean, you could really enjoy the moment? Uh, I would say half and half. I, I tend, I do, I do stay a bit nervous on stage. Um, so I think when I began performing, my assumption had been that after I do this long enough, I won't get nervous. But now I think it's just that I've done it long enough that I'm pretty used to performing nervous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wanted to touch on, too, I mean, you've really established a brand for yourself that 
I mean, it's very far reaching. I mean, going from hip hop to the solo stuff to branching out and doing these talks, doing the orchestra stuff. I mean, how far, I guess, how far out did you look as far as wanting to establish yourself more than just a hip hop artist? Um, I think, I think some of it is, is reactionary or, or no, that's not quite the word. Some of it is responsive and that I'll be lucky enough to get a call from somebody like Grant Meacham at the Minnesota Orchestra mm-hmm. and, um, and we'll jump at the opportunity that it's posed. It's not the case that I had like a five-year plan to get on stage, to get on that particular stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that I've experienced this career, it would be tough to map a five-year plan. You can have some big goals, and, and I do, but part of what's exciting, I think, is about meeting new people who have like a really different vision and a really different art form that, than, than you do, and then figuring out how to get both of those talents or both of those visions or both, both of the excellences um, involved in a single project. So whether it's meeting um, a woman in South Africa whose name is Hope Masika, who's this incredible Indira player, that's like the thumb panel. Uh-huh. Um, well... I would love, and I think I send her an email every year being like, it's me again, we should collaborate. I have no idea if that will ever happen. But um, but being open to those kind of collaborations, I think, has been part of the name of the game. And then uh, I'm a sucker for language, so almost almost anything in the language art I, I, I find interesting. Um, you know, whether that means like a monologue or, or a choral piece mm-hmm. or... Um, or a little tiny play. Like, I like all that stuff because I, I love language. So. Yeah, and that's one thing I've noticed, too, is, is you're, I mean, you're quite the wordsmith, extremely, you know, well-versed, and the way you can you can inspire images, I mean, in me, myself, um, listening to your music, I mean, I, I can just picture things in my head and kind of see, I mean, and it's probably, of course, it's my own interpretation, but... Um, you know, there's not a ton of people that can really do that and almost make it like you're reading a book, you know, with your, with your, um, with the written words. I mean, you know what I mean? Where you're listening to it and then the music comes along with it as well is also, you know, part of the picture, but you don't write any of the, the actual music. Uh, it's all done by like Laserbeak and those guys, right? For as far as your, your actual, uh, as far as the music. Yes. The li- the lion's share, or the uh, at least eighty percent, I'd say, um, eighty five even, is composed or produced by somebody like Laserbeat or Paper Tiger mm-hmm. or Cecil Lauder, or sometimes like the members of the live band that I toured with um, for my last record. Mm-hmm. So I performed with like a a really charismatic bassist named Sean McPherson and um, and a guitarist named Dustin Kyle, who both might you know be playing a loop. Right? You know, we just kind of be playing a riff. Yeah. And then we try to figure out how to change it into a song. Some of the songs, usually usually it's more the ballad stuff. Um, some of the songs I've written myself and then had a lot of, and then asked other musicians to help me arrange. So songs like uh, Sound the Bells or uh, It's Only Me or Annabelle. Those were songs that I'd start on piano mm-hmm. and then someone with the help of my musician friends to help me uh, arrange. Okay, and Sound the Bells, that video that accompanies that song, I mean, I had the record before the video, of course, but watching it with the video really just completely changed 
the way I felt about this. I mean, I love the song to begin with, but it just it took me deeper, and it was just so uh, intense. I mean, just the 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 images you create through these videos. I mean, most of the videos are just I mean, fantastic uh, accompaniments to the music, and you know, that's what I love about your stuff, the solo stuff especially is is just how all-encompassing it is, like from the visuals to the album art to uh, the music itself is just one giant piece. It's cohesive. It's really impressive to see. I mean, and it's something that I, you know, really enjoy about what you do. Um, and you have so many Thanks. things. That, that video, um, you know, that video was, uh, it's creditable to the director, uh, E.P. Cummings, Daniel Cummings, and he was, uh, he sent me a, like a screenshot of an underwater museum. And I had no idea what an underwater museum was, mm-hmm. but he found, uh, he'd been on location for another project and he's learned about this installation of a set of human forms, a set of statues um, on the ocean floor. And they were shallow enough that you could dive to them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not a natural swimmer, but I was just so taken with these images um, that I, I did some practicing, like, at my, the pool at the YWCA by my house to try to learn how to swim and, and then more importantly, <laughs> to try to learn how to think so that I could, so that I could get low enough on the ocean floor to, um, to be filmed among these statues. So, yeah, I thought, I thought it was striking stuff as well. I mean, and also, um, credit to the, the guy who actually makes the statues is this really clever conservationist, uh, who, conservationist, who tries to, reroute tourist traffic away from um, threatened reefs by creating these installations so that then when people are on vacation for a week and they're going to go scuba diving or, or snorkeling, instead of um, stressing out the already fragile reefs with a lot of traffic and leached sunscreen and, um, and you know, errant things, um, that the tourists instead visit this installation underground. And his name is Jason DeCaris Taylor. Total badass. So yeah, thank you. I I thought I thought it was a pretty cool video too. Sure, absolutely, and then the work that went into it too, having to, and that ties into as well having the the uh, always trying something new, you know, and and not being afraid to do that. Like you're saying, learn to swim, and and uh, for this video, like who knew who knew you know uh, you would learn to swim for a music video. You know what I mean, like. Versus for any other reason, right. like I'm going to go scuba diving on my own, so I need to get certified for this. It's nope, I'm going to do this for a music video. I mean, that's that's always right. something interesting. But um, so I wanted to talk about too. I mean, back to writing. You know, writing for the the page versus writing for the stage. I mean, do you see a big difference in that, or do you write the same way as far as when you're writing? You know, uh, do you ever sit down and write a song, or do you just sit down and write, and then if it becomes a song, it becomes one. If it becomes oh. poetry, poetry. Well, sometimes uh, when it, when I get a little fragment of an idea, um, a little phrase or an image, mm-hmm. I'm sometimes not exactly sure which pile that's going to go into. If that's going to be poetry or prose or a song. Mm-hmm. Um, if it rhymes, <laughs> then it's already sort of suggested itself <laughs> as, as a lyric. But, um, but sometimes it's a matter of scope. So... If I have a long argument or a long story to tell, usually that's going to be a usually that's going to be prosaic. You know, that's going to be a, a short story or an essay, mm-hmm. if only because to investigate it 
through music would take a 19-minute song. Um, other times, if I feel like, you know, the, the core of this idea isn't a narrative, and it's not intellectual in any way, um, it's the it's big value of it um, is just that it sounds cool or that it feels um, like, a, like a strong and compelling image. And it's more likely to land in, like, the poetry, um, the poetry pile, which tends to allow for a, a little bit more impressionistic understanding of the world, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so length and type help me figure out what sort of idea is which. I think that a lot of my essays and my art could be told on stage as monologues, and I do that a lot, but, um, but not a lot of my monologues or essays could easily be transformed into songs because it, I do you, the kind of concern that you have with like how a word sounds and um, even just the fact that you're like when I tell stories on stage pacing is really important and, mm-hmm. and pacing is much harder to control when you're working in a in a beat that is you know is metrically regular you can't you can't just pause as long as you want without sounding weird when you come back in Sure. Without and then, you know, like with the Doomtree stuff, like a lot of stuff is you know played live, you know, on those pads, and everyone, you know, I'm sure everyone knows where everything's coming in and everything's very worked out. I mean, one thing I noticed, I was, you know, I saw a video uh, a while back. You did like a, uh, it was on YouTube. I forget what it was for, but you were talking about like a previous career doing, uh, working in the medical field, uh, doing technical writing, and then you did music in between, um, and then had a guest. And it was on stage, and it was really, when you're talking about, you know, pacing, uh, that's something I really saw there, where you're able to pause and take a break and let something sink in as you're speaking, versus being able to do that, you know, in mid-song. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think to me it feels like, I really like the idea of being able to express a particular, Let's say you're working on a particular show, and you know what kind of theme or what kind of vibe you want for the show. I like the idea of being able to um, maneuver between disciplines. So this part of the show would be best served by a funny little story, and this show would be best served by a song, and this part of the show would be best served, I don't know, by a puppet show. So for me, it feels like the vibe and the theme, those feel, to to a person in the audience and to maybe even the performers on stage, those feel more cohesive and more, like, definitive of an, of an evening than whether or not you happen to be singing a sad thing or saying a sad thing. If the reaction is still tears, let's say, um, then, it's, then it's of a piece. Whereas I think sometimes we get a little distracted about what counts as what discipline. Is this a monologue or is this a, is this a slam poet or is this a spoken word piece? Um, and we get also concerned about genre. Does this count as freak folk? Does this count as R&B? Does this count as rap music? Like, I don't think that matters all that much to the listener's experience. I think that matters a lot more to the retailer's experience. So I don't, I don't try to sweat that too hard on stage. Okay. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey. I want to tell you about some new releases coming up from Equal Vision Records. As you guys know, Equal Vision Records is my family, and so are these bands. I really want you to check these out. We've got Hot Water Music, 
with their 10th studio album, Vows, out May 10th, featuring guest appearances by Dallas Green of City and Color, Thrice, The Interrupters, and Brendan and Daniel from Turnstile. See them on the 30th anniversary tour with Quicksand in the States in May and June and Europe in November. Hotwatermusic.com for more info. We also have Be Well with their new 7-inch, A Tap I Can't Turn Off, out now. First new music in two years from this band. This band is incredible, featuring members of Battery, Bane, Darkest Hour, and Fairweather. See them on tour with I Am The Avalanche in June. Equalvision.com for more info on that. And just your general information on Equal Vision Records, you're always going to find something you like at Equalvision.com. Go there for vinyl and merch from all of your favorite bands. Check out Hot Water Music's new record and Be Well's new 7-inch now. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the head-banging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3. Tier 1 is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. 
Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. And I mean, you do a lot of collaborating. So you, I mean, um, you've been with Abby for a long time uh, for the solo yeah. stuff and, uh, you know, with Doomtree, of course, a giant collaboration. How, how is it different for you, you know, being on stage when you are rarely on stage alone versus with someone? Do you feel any different? Do you feel, uh, aside from basic, like, you know, these two parts are coming together, as a performer, do you feel much different on stage alone versus with, just say, you and Abby doing like an NPR thing or... or uh, you know, do you feel more exposed? Do you feel more nervous? Yeah, I mean, I would say that if I were to if I were to list my strengths, like a short list of my strengths, uh, I don't actually think collaborator would would make the top five. And that, um, and that I, I do have a hard time letting go of control. So, mm-hmm. so I'm sort of a I'm sort of a fussy <laughs> collaborator. <laughs> I'm so proud of the work that I've done with you know with, with people like Doomtree. Um, but I, it's not, it doesn't come effortlessly for me. So I think that I'm rarely on stage alone, in part because I don't have the skills to be on stage alone. So if I were an excellent pianist, or I was like an amazing guitar player, <laughs> then I might have accompanied myself, you know? Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe ultimately it's lucky for me that I'm not, because then, um, because then I have to, to learn and also to benefit from, like, um, tastes and styles that, that aren't natively my own. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, in Doomtree, coming into Doomtree, that was already a already a, a collaboration going on. Thanks. I mean, how much control did you have to begin with? Was there was it something that uh, you kind of discovered uh, after you know becoming established with Doomtree and branching out on your own that you had trouble giving up the control, or you know how was that coming into that where it's already a, a controlled environment? A thing. Yeah. So I don't mean like I'm controlling the guys. The guys are their own bosses sure, and their sure. own masters. But I mean like um, when I write a song. For my own record, I'm the only one who has to like the lyrics, 
right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if I'm going to partner up with other people to try to write verses together, we're going to have input at least on the chorus. So, um, so you can imagine, like, I get more control when I write my own song. I'm more comfortable that way when I make the best music as a listener's, um, that's just for each listener I get to decide. But, yeah, working with Doomtree, you know, I find it challenging, which embarrasses me a little bit because the guys, it seems to come a lot more naturally to them. Um, but I'd say collaboration is something that um, that I enjoy, but, but I do I do also find it to be challenging because I'm I'm reluctant to to renege absolute power. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I mean, so many personalities there too, and and I mean, a lot of big names and and. Uh... You know, it, it, it's just a, a fantastic outfit. I mean, and one more thing on that on that note, um, you know, watching the the coverage of the orchestra event, they all it seemed like the media seemed to say the the orchestra partnering with a rapper. Like, how do you feel about the media portraying you as just a rapper when you have so many different sides uh, beyond that? Does that make does sure. that bring anything up with you or? You know what, it, it's the opposite. It's probably that, if anything, I think I'd be guilty of over-representing myself as just a rapper because I'm so damn proud of the, of the work in that, in that genre. Um, and also, probably the media says that, too, because it sounds more interesting, right? Because if you're like, can you believe it, that an orchestra partners with a singer? They'd be like, yes, I can believe that. that <laughs> so, um, so probably it was also to showcase the most unlikely aspects of the project because those are going to be... Um, the parts that are most immediately interesting to the casual user. Yeah, yeah. The mass, the mass, uh, the mass, mass media puts out whatever's you know the most extreme. That makes sense. Um, I just wasn't sure if it was something that maybe you're like, ah, really? Come on, guys. You know, like I've got so many different right, ideas in the right, fire. Right. But uh, sure. Well, I think I think generally, like I think generally, I'm I'm so so like. I'm proud. I'm proud of the stuff that I've done in rap, and also because that's where I I kind of started musically. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense that sometimes that's like if people only have you know, cause it would be asking a lot for a reporter who doesn't know me. They say, "Okay, well, what do you do?" And I'm like, "Well, I want you to write interdisciplinary artists that is like a singer and a monologue and a poet and and a rapper. Like that's just sort of like, honey, I'll tell you, you know, you haven't heard that much ink yet. So, so I'm not too I'm not too finicky about that designation, casually. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have just a couple minutes left, us, and I do appreciate the time. What are your future plans for the rest of the year? Do you have more music coming out, uh, more collaborations, more uh, another book? Uh, what do you have coming yeah. up? Yeah. Yep, I'm working. I'm just finishing now, actually, a book of essays. Okay. It'll be my first full-length and a proper um, selection to be published on Dutton. And I am in the midst of writing my new record, um, which will be out next year. Awesome. I can't wait to hear it and check out the book. Thanks. And uh, like I say, I really appreciate the time today, Dessa, and, and uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, good luck to you, and, and uh, we'll chat soon. Thank you so much, Dewey. Thank you. Have a good day. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dessa. I know it was a short one. She is very, very busy. We tried to make the most of it. Uh, and squeeze an interview in in between some other stuff because, like I say, she is absolutely swamped with the new record and everything else coming out. Really appreciate her coming on, and it was really fascinating being able to talk to her and ask her some questions, and, and uh, hopefully you guys got some something out of it as well, not just myself. 
But we are on purepleasurepodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are on all the socials. Definitely check out the Pleasure Seekers Club on Patreon. Go support the show. Help us keep the lights on. Help, you know, everything. Everything helps. We got all sorts of costs for the show. And we like to cover that, you know, through listenership. And, uh, I mean, just to to be able to provide more content to you guys, establish a, you know, a club where we can have, you know, a lot of conversation and all that good stuff. So I'm not going to ramble on much further. I am going to throw a few clips at the end of this episode here from our first year, some of the, the funny, interesting clips, uh, kind of a montage for you guys at the end here. So definitely check check out all the past episodes if you haven't already and get ready for year two. Year two is going to be fucking awesome. We are starting out year two with Brendan Canty from Fugazi, as I said earlier. If you missed it or skipped past it, Brendan Canty, the drummer for Fugazi, the second member of Fugazi to be on the show. Uh, I'm very proud to say that. And it is a hilarious conversation. He's an absolute genius. And I'll, I'll get into that next week as you guys are, are listening through. Uh, but stay tuned for some clips from the first year. And as always, we'll see you on the radio. You know, whatever, even just someone coming to your shows, it, like we've always been a very hands-on band and wanted to like be connected with people that like what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so now that that has become that much easier, and everyone does that now, even with like a Twitter account. It's like, dude, I, I could tweet fucking brad pitt you know and like i might have to tweet him one thousand times but they're like he might actually get back to me and that's insane yeah or or not for me like i would have tweet brad pitt a thousand times but like oh you fucking should i remember for instance like yeah report (laughs) back to me on this i want to see this (laughs) now you have nothing you're you're a clean slate right now you have you have time to tweet brad pitt yeah, I'm gonna tweet him a thousand oh, times. If you could just tweet experiment. him sound bites, little sound bite snippets but of like, his insane guitar. <laughs> yeah, I was born in East Germany. That's the former communist part of Germany. And when I was born, um, Germany was still united, uh, uh, divided. And I experienced the wall falling at age ten. As a kid, you don't really question it when your mom makes potatoes every day. Um, I think I did. I started doing like some softcore type of. Uh, you know, fake sex things picture-wise, where it was like for um, adult magazines, but it wasn't really a, it wasn't really like a, a sex scene. It was just kind of staged. But I looked at it as a job. I mm-hmm. never, I never really compared my personal life with what I was doing on camera. Like it wasn't to me. This didn't was not connected. It was more like the teenage. And you were either the teenage girl that looked twelve and was really slim, or you were the you know, the bombshell blonde with fake tits and stuff. And I was yeah. none of, I was, I was totally different. And we, we happen to have very talented people. And so if he's ever in a room, it's just, he's one of the guys that they'll let through. And that's kind of the main thing with being uh, a rock and roll photographer or, or anybody like that. It's just, there's a lot of people with cameras, but just some people you don't want to let into the back where, where most people would say, Hey, no pictures. Yeah. McClay's one of those guys like, oh, no, he can take pictures of anything. Yeah. And we're very open about all that stuff. You know, we tell him no matter how much, I don't care if somebody gets in a fight, if somebody's bleeding, if somebody's crying, if somebody's naked, whatever. We just we just tell him to shoot the shit out of that. We want all of it. Yeah. Because 
thing that's so honest, like particularly, I can't remember who shot it, but there's a, there's a picture of Kurt Cobain crying after a show. Just his head in his hands, he's just bawling. And somebody just snapped a shot right in his face. And the balls that that takes and how cool it was that I have seen it, it just, I can stare at that picture forever, man. When I first met John, I didn't like him. And he didn't, he didn't like me. And we didn't, because I worked at Starbucks and he would come in and, and uh, he, he asked me if I played drums. I go, yeah, I play drums. He's like, well, what do, you, what do you think of Dave Grohl? This is like, this is 92. I love Nirvana. They're awesome. Dave Grohl's a great, uh, good drummer. He's like, Dave Grohl's a fucking fantastic drummer. Best drummer in the world right now. I go, well, take it easy, okay? Uh, he's not the best drummer in the world right now. He's the best rock drummer in the world right now. I go, no, probably not. He's like, oh, what, are you better than Dave Grohl? And I go, technically, shop-wise, yes, I'm better than Dave Grohl. And he got all mad at me. And we had a screaming match. He's like, you probably suck. And I go, fuck you. And he, oh, this is at Starbucks, right? And he goes, fuck you. I go, fuck you. And he, he left. He came he, so every time John would come in the restaurant or uh, uh, Starbucks, he'd Darren, and I go, John. And I go, as a matter of fact, I can. He's like, he threw his hands up in the air and he goes, Darren Pfeiffer, best drummer in the world. <laughs> that is clear. Like, most everybody I know who's ever loved music, loved music at age 15 or 16. In fact, maybe that was the time in their lives where music was the most um, important to them. And yet, at those ages, they weren't able to go see the very bands that changed their lives. The first time Black Flag came to the East Coast, um, we all went to New York to see them from D.C. And then they came down here and played in D.C. and they stayed uh, at my family's house, my parents' house. My brother and I still lived at home. And so we had all Black Flag sleeping, like, you know, on my floor. And um, they stayed for a couple of days. We had a really amazing time with them. Um, you really haven't lived till you come upstairs and you see your mom in a robo making pancakes and smoking cigarettes together. And it's a porn director named Ian Mackay. And he does so-called alt-punk porn. Uh -huh. You know, like it's like, basically, people with tattoos fucking, you know. So when we wrote Full Collapse, I remember I was convincing the guys we should drop out of school and do it for a year. Mm -hmm. Just a year. And we go back and finish school. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, hey, a year. And so we <clears throat> hand the record into Victory. I get a call from one of the higher ups there, and they're like, "No, it's okay. It just doesn't have any singles." They'll be like, "You gotta meet this band thrice on the West Coast. They're starting to do stuff. They're not. They don't sound like you, but like you guys are such similar people. Like they're like they're both quiet, not like at all what you'd expect from your band." Mm -hmm. um, and what we didn't know is at the same time people were like, <clears throat> "You guys got a tour opening for Thursday." You've always at least portrayed yourself as a very happy, upbeat person. Generally, very I am. Have genuine. you ever seen BoJack Horseman? Yes. Okay, the cartoon? So, yes. Yeah. Do you know the character Mr. Peanut Butter? Yes. My friends joke around that I'm Mr. Peanut Butter. Like, just generally pretty <laughs> excited. I'm like... Just smiling like, and friendly. Smiling and friendly. Yeah, yeah. That was my... It was my idea. So the first time... The first... For so the first album cover, I just thought... She just took these pictures and I had them and it was easy. And then I thought... We, I had the idea for each cover that had her, pretty much each cover I had like just an idea for it in my mind. Like I saw it in my mind. I was like, it would be cool to have you like naked in the woods running around. <laughs> <laughs> and she would, she was like, it kind of ended the idea of like trying to make sure it would be tasteful, of course. Sure. I was with Sayosin and I remember being in the band at the time and like being like, ev like going everywhere with people and people being like, who are these like SoCal dudes? I still have this gratitude this this gratitude for everything 
you know. And I think that that's something that I would not have had if I hadn't gone through that shit with with, with heroin. Yeah, that's and so that that makes that makes it all worth it in my opinion. I like freedom. I worship freedom. Yeah, amongst a few other things. Though I had wanted to be out of the city, the reality of being um, so far out in the sticks uh, was was startling. Um, it was just a, a really drastic change, and it came at a time that a lot of other big changes were happening for me. ISIS was ending. Uh, Hydrahead was about to go through a big transitional shift, um, and uh, I think all of that sort of coalesced into this really big moment of self-realization that over my first winter in Vashon was kind of terrifying just <laughs> to be to be basically alone and confronted with myself. No one else can deal with your shit for you. So basically I was confronted with a lot of stuff that I had been shoving aside for a long time and and combined with the isolation of being on Vashon it was it was a big slap in the face that ended up being a really good thing uh, with henry we were just it never ended i mean we went everywhere we, one of the first uh shows we did we went to portugal and opened for metallica that's what it was like it was like you know we were loading in for that show in germany and uh, there was a voice behind me that said hey are you guys black flag i love black flag i love your music oh you're the guitar player you're so great. And like, oh, at no. first I was smiling and kind of like going along with it. And then after a while, I think it was Matt Techie, our drummer at that time, he said, he's just being a dick. And it's like, hey, you're just being a dick. And this French label put out a Mother Superior record, 13 Violets, and it had this like glowing review in Rolling Stone. No, it was the Sin album. The Sin album was reviewed and they called us Led Zeppelin with a full erection. So <laughs> we went to Land Wise place and like, he's going, oh my God, these guys are incredible. You know, so... It was just all like, you know. So did they have, they had your name and everything when they talked to you? Yeah, you register. So, so they could say, hey, maybe this guy looks cool. This guy looks cool. We could put him on. Yeah, or do you, is it random? It's, I think they actually like go through and if they talk to somebody and they seem like they're engaging, they're like, all right, let's put that guy on the list. Yeah. And, you know, just keep going. Oh, I want a game show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, I woke up again. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I haven't, but... <laughs> yeah, shit. Like I said, I grew up a hardcore uh, punk rock kid, so if anything, it's more punk rock to be like, you know, if I don't need to fucking act like every other metal dude in the band and, like, you know, look tough and check me out, bro. You know, I don't need to. I can do whatever the hell I want. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried to play a show no, serious? Because, like just fucking rock out? Because it feels completely unnatural. Just to, just to see it. Yeah. Just to see it. Like, <laughs> it what the fuck's going on with Adam? He's serious. You yeah, know? It feel completely unnatural to me. I'd just be like, this is, this is odd. Well, I think it was, uh, it was a combination of things. I think, first of all, like, I don't know. I, early on in life, I felt like, I felt like a freak. Hmm. I don't think when we started, it wasn't a matter of like, because when you start playing music, to be honest, you just do it because of the music. Yeah. There's no, like agenda. There's no plan to take over the world. Like you start and you're like, maybe, I mean, I remember starting Refused. And I, I mean, David said, maybe we could play a few shows outside of our hometown. Maybe release a 7-inch. That'd be rad. Mm -hmm. We still have not released a 7-inch, which <laughs> is kind of a testament to the failure of our band. But 
<laughs> but when you start playing, you just, you just play. I don't think there's, there's a motive to, uh, like, oh, let's sing in English because then more people will, will get it. However, when we did the last Invasion record, mm -hmm. before that, we did two records in Swedish. You know, I worked on, I was on The Simpsons and I worked on all sorts of shows. And every time I come up with an idea for a show, I was always thinking, what's a good idea for a show? And it mm. would it'd always be a, a variation of like, what if my wife and I had, you know, what if our kid was a robot or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I never did that. And then uh, quite literally one day I just thought like, well, what if I took uh, a horror movie and just put my dad in the middle of it? Because my father, as I've described him uh, I've described him in the past as Archie Bunker without the elegance and sophistication. <laughs> and he really is. And when I was when we were kids, my brothers and I used to joke because, you know, we all watched monster movies growing up. Yeah. Like we used to joke that if our dad was in one of the planes that was shooting at King Kong, <laughs> that he would break formation and go check the score of the baseball game. I just remember, like, I didn't know any I didn't know any other labels, but I remember being on tour and seeing going to tooth and nail and the president of label brandon i remember just being like hey here's a demo tape from my other band that i sing for and he kind of looked at it and was like oh yeah thanks man and i think like i think he kind of told me later on like in his head he's kind of thinking like why would i want to listen to a band where like a guitar player in a metal band sings for that just sounds like a you know a disaster but to like i think he you know i guess he must have ended up listening to it and and i think like i remember you know we made our we we made that record we made the zayo record in little rock with barry pointer and jason magnuson and I, when i was down there i was like man he's so cool juliana theory could make a record here with these guys i think it, like it could be awesome and Hi, it's Joanna Angel here, and you're listening to the Pure Pleasure Podcast. Anyone who thinks this is easy is an asshole. You know? <laughs> Anytime I do anything, I just, I don't know, the minute I like, the camera goes on and my makeup's on and my outfit's on, I'm just, I'm just kind of like ready for anything. I don't know. Like I, it's fun and I want to do everything I, that my, my body can physically do, you know, yeah. like I just, I don't know. I don't, my emotions don't get lost in there. I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't, it's weird cause it's real and it's not real. Like I, I just don't, I don't feel like whatever I'm doing is going to like, it's never had some like mental effect that lasted on me. I think Joanna's tapped out. It's <laughs> like, I've never seen this happen. To her. <laughs> it's like, okay. That's, that's amazing. <laughs>
for a head-bangingly good time, dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. (laughs) 